Watchlist, uh, the movie podcast that aims a loaded tank at movie recommendations that don't have cameos from Iggy Pop being pervy in a dressing gown. Um, my name is Damon Carter and I'm joined by two movie aficionados who have taken time out of their busy days to deliver liquid movie knowledge that you will not hear anywhere else. Um, firstly, our method critic who immersed himself in this episode by drinking water extracted from the flesh of his newly hired henchman, Cameron Young. How are you, sir? Not too bad. Added coffee as well, which is something water and power didn't have the imagination to do. Mm, delicious. Um, mm. How was the how was the water that you extracted from the henchman? How did it taste? Like coffee. It tasted it's just like coffee. That's what I'm saying. I got more imagination than uh, the Malcolm McDowell Kessley. I thought it would have been a bit meaty, a bit of meaty water. I don't know if that. Were... When... We'll get into that. When we we'll we'll get, get into that. Spoiler, we'll get into that. We'll spoiler, into that. spoiler. I did wonder. I did wonder. Anyway, anyway, um, and making up this trio is a man who also prepared for this episode by locking himself in a meat freezer, wearing a straight jacket, trying to play with himself. At Jenga, at Jenga. Sorry, come on, get your mind out the gutter, both of you. Um, Alex, Alex Hall, how are you, sir? I'm good, good, yeah. very good. Thank you. Any any philosophy for us? You you gave some nice philosophy for us on the last episode, which I thought was handy. Anything you want to, you know? The fewer words you can speak, the more people will listen to you. Don't know what relevance that has to anything that we're doing at the moment, but uh, there you no, are. No, but I, I mean, yeah. I fell silent because I was thinking that's that's the way forward, but then I ruined it by speaking. So yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, also, I not I, very good for a podcast. Yeah. Not really. Here's an hour and a half of just, just staring at the camera. Just if silent have, agreement. Mm -hmm. If we'd have finished the podcast there, that would probably be one of the funniest gags ever. Only for us, though, as people were like, oh, well, if we're going to talk about a movie. And then just anyway, episode three. Yeah, episode three. Yeah, did you like that gag? No. Oh, you've stopped listening. Never mind. Um, right, we've made it to episode two, um, just about after we watched Commando. Um, and after watching Commando, um, I realised that every mo movie is kind of linked in one form or another. So in Commando, Dan Hedaya um, starred as Arius, who just so happened to be in a movie called Mulholland Drive as Vincenzo Castigliani with a young woman named Naomi Watts, who was in the 1995 classic Tank Girl, which is Cameron Young's choice today. Um, I say classic. We'll get into that. Um, I was going to say, if you're saying it's a classic, this is episode over because I don't know if that's the aim is to argue the point. Well, maybe maybe I was being um, ironic. Maybe I was being sarcastic. Maybe well, we I was being a cult classic. You know, uh, a, a, uh, people call it a cult classic, don't they? A cult classic. Um, they do now. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll get into that. So it's, it's a film directed by Rachel Talalay, starring Laurie Petty, Malcolm McDowell, and it was released on the 23rd of June, 1995 in the UK. Any ideas what you guys were doing on the 23rd of June, 1995? 14 years um, old, mate. Not a clue, mate. Not yeah, clue. I know. what. <laughs> yeah. Come on. 1995. Now, now, in 1995, I dare say I was... At school, at some point, writing 1995 in my book, thinking, "What a great year this is!" You know, what was great it about was it? A... Do you remember, like, what was what was great about 1995? I was young, I was free, I was so young I didn't even care about being single. The world was ahead of me. <laughs> Weren't you like 13 at 1995 or something? <laughs> <laughs> ah, what a time to be alive! Yeah. 
Yeah, you know. <laughs> just get on with it. No mobile phones. Back then, you know, the fun was only what you could make it. Out after school on your bike, back before the lights came on. You know, oh, yeah. Reading the newspaper, smoking cigars no. and single malts. I oh, know, no, we were too young. That's not <laughs> yeah. doing single malts. <laughs> that is one classy 13 year old, I've got to say. <laughs> oh, father. <laughs> I do declare the Financial Times today is an absolute tosh. The Nasdaq has fallen again. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Jeeves, fetch me another bowl of the finest tobacco. <laughs> so, oh uh, we, we digress. We digress. And um, before we go on about this film, um, anyone that's listening, spoiler warning, we will talk about the film in depth. That being said, I don't think it's a film that relies heavily on plot twists, so I don't really think we can spoil it for you. Um, but if you are listening, go and watch the movie, come back and then listen to this fantastic episode because we are going to delve deep into the world of Tank Girl. Um, we Just before we go on as well, we had a little issue trying to find the movie. Um, initially, when we said we were going to watch it, it was available on Amazon Prime and then time passed. And by the time we got back round to doing it, it had disappeared and Alex was fuming. And then we were like, oh, how are we going to watch this again? And Cameron rescued us because there's some Prime Video MGM subscription blah, blah stuff that you can like subscribe to, which is a bit. Yeah. By the time you're listening to this, it probably won't be. Available. Yeah, exactly. It will be somewhere else, you know. So yeah. that's not our fault, you know. Please, anyone that writes in, anyone that writes in, I'll be happy. But if you write in to complain, don't, because that's not um, our fault, you know. In terms of spoilers. All films of, it's 1995, so this film is available on VHS and probably yeah, DVD. And Betamax, yes. And Betamax. Betamax was gone by 95. Come on. Um, I was <laughs> going to say, uh, for anybody that's worried about spoilers, um, if you're following along, you'll already know what movie we're going to be doing in the next episode. It will appear at the end of every single episode that we do. So just listen to the end. Absolutely. Good shout. Um, so before we get on to Cameron Young's Seven Wonders of this movie, we try and do seven points. You can, we... you can just call me Cameron. You, you, you can I, I like calling you Cameron Young. It makes oh, you sound yeah. official. It makes you sound important. And uh, I want you to feel like that during this. Right, because well, that's fine, Nadia. Okay, well, is... you go for it. I'm, I'm absolutely fine with it. Either way, I'm just saying you don't have to use my full name. But if you really want to go there, I've got a middle name too. Alexander, you're welcome to use the whole lights and proper movie name. A fantastic that's my middle... name. <laughs> <laughs> Great second name. Terrible first name. <laughs> well... Yeah. Well, bit I of an ob- bit of an obvious, obvious first name, <laughs> isn't it? A bit too obvious, that. Okay. Um, so, yes, um, Cam, you know, let's drop the formalities. Cam, um, right. before we get onto it, so you chose this film, um, and before watching it again, why did you, you know, if you can rewind just before you sort of decided to select this film, why did mm-hmm. you think you selected it? And, and, you know, we'll come on to after, you've, you know, the stuff we've discussed. Why, why did you want us to consider this for the never-ending watch list mm. uh, this was a film that i really loved when i was in my teenage years had a bit of a crush on laurie petty in my um current mindset i'd actually forgotten about the movie but my brother has um one of the um weird little beatnik poems that uh, come up in the movie memorized and sent it to me as a whatsapp audio um and it's like yeah i'm gonna have to use it then good shout yeah. Shout out to Aiden. Um, yeah, so was it a movie you and your brother like sort of connected over? That was one of the films you, you enjoyed watching as kids. He, but there's like four and a half years between us. So at that point in time, I was a teenager 
And he would have been, you know, uh, so he might have been about 11, maybe 10. We didn't really hang out together that much at that age because at that point in life, it's quite a large gap in, in years. As you get older, four and a half years becomes a smaller and smaller ratio. And yeah, um, so uh, it's not really a love that we shared, but I'm sure at some point in time we have enjoyed the movie together, maybe a little bit later on. But I can't, I can't remember specifically, to be honest with you. But it had uh, good memories for you. Oh, I mean, as I say, I had a, I had a little boy crush on uh, Laurie Petty. Um, uh, loved the soundtrack, uh, blown away by it. Um, spent many hours listening to it back on, I've got it recorded on cassette tape. Managed to transfer it from uh, disc to uh, cassette. A little bit like VHS now, it's a dead, uh, dead technology. <laughs> Everything is, isn't it? Um, everything is online now, but I am still determined to keep hard copies of things. In fact, this is totally not related to the podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm considering buying a um, a machine that is a, a vinyl record player, a CD player, and a tape player, because I'm determined to keep the, the hard copies alive. And I'm now a man of um, a certain age that decides that he needs weird things in his life. So Someone told me that VHS that's is just, back again. That's just a stacked... That, that's a hi-fi stack. Yeah, it is, but it isn't. If you, know, I'll show it you. I'll show, it's one for off the podcast. Um, but yeah, yeah it's. Okay. Um, no, say, that's just a hi. That's like that's how it used to be. You know. Yeah, just, but it's kind of like um, at the it's bottom, in a box. and then you had your... yeah. I know what you mean yeah. though. Like the stack sort of stereo system. My mum's actually yeah, yeah. got that kind of thing, but it's too big. Like, so I want something a bit more compact. Anyway, we digress. Um, yeah. We do yeah, digress, um, but yeah. So one of those films that, as a teenager, I just fell in love with straight away just fell in love with it and it's one of those movies it doesn't take long to watch i know it's an hour and three quarters so it's is it a little bit longer than that it's, it's uh, hour and 40 minutes four, i think yeah. i agree it's a perfect goldilocks scene for a movie to be um but yeah it's one of those movies every time i watch it it seems to be over a little bit faster and um it's just it's just good fun it's ridiculous it's um narratively illogical and um easy to tear apart but for no other reason, it's just a film that's always been sort of close to my heart on the basis that Laurie Petty was absolutely a stand in his tank girl. And did you, when you obviously watched it recently, so up until a month or a few weeks ago, when had you watched it before that? When was the last time you think you'd watched it, if you can even remember? Man, it's going back time now, because like I say, I've forgotten about it. It's sort of fallen out of my memory. So when my brother reminded me of it, it was just like, well, I'm going to have to go for this one. So it could be like, could have been 20 years, maybe, maybe longer that you last watched it. Yeah, it could have been. Into the Netflix age, into the streaming age, it's just one of those things you just rarely go back to things that you've watched before. It's all about new content these days. That's true, and also it didn't seem to, it didn't seem to be on the streaming sites, and it certainly wasn't for very long when we were kind of looking for it recently. Um, Alex, what about you? Like, what were your experiences of of Tank Girl? Like, um, had you watched it when you were younger? Have you gone a long time without watching it? I most certainly did watch it when I was younger. I remember watching it when I was a young. 13, 14 year old, and like Cameron, I very much fancied Laurie Petty and Jet as well. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed watching it. I really, exactly like Cameron, I really enjoyed the music. And in fact, the first and one of only CDs I ever purchased was the soundtrack to that film. Oh, Tank Girls. Tank Girl's blue face with the tongue out on it. Um, I've been looking for it, but I couldn't find it. I'm sure somewhere in amongst the, my boxes, you know, because everyone keeps everything from their past, but it's in a box. You might as well throw it away. 
in the bottom of some box somewhere is that Tank Girl um, CD and case. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it as a as a young young lad, and I was very excited when Cameron said it because it was a film that I basically had totally forgotten about, and then just completely remembered it. Yeah, man, proper um, blast from the past. Yeah, yeah, and I just had real waves of nostalgia when I was rewatching it. Literally, I was just writing nostalgia down. Like, yeah, it's um, it can tell the love you two have got for, it, and it's certainly like it's kind of reignited a, a a flame in your memory to kind of go, oh yeah, I remember this. And Laurie Petty, um, yeah, I mean, um, I. I haven't seen Tank Girl until literally like a few weeks ago. So I'm completely new to this. But Laurie Petty, I was aware of from um, Point Break. Um, she was in that with Patrick Swayze and uh, Keanu Reeves. And she was in a film called League of Their Own as well, like yeah, a female. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I, I watched that loads of times when I was younger. You just and... come out of In the Army now with Paulie Shaw. That's um, right. Yeah, that's a good shout. Paulie Shaw, that most annoying of <laughs> actors. I feel like Paulie Shaw might end up coming up in one of our movie choices in the future. We'll see. Oh. Um, let, let it not be Biodome. Hell no. <laughs> I think, I think we know. there's only... Biodome. Yeah, not... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a good... Well, I'm going to spoil it, but that... Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. We won't spoil it. That's shit. not a, that's so... a crap film, isn't it? In fact, I know there's only one Paulie Shaw movie I would even select, but I won't ruin that because I might choose it in the future. Um so yeah, sorry, Alex. You were saying um, so. Tank Girl for you again, special place in your heart. So um, yeah. yeah, I'm not going to go on about what my experience with the film because I think you guys, you coming at from a, a much more passionate sort of background as well. I'd never seen the film before, so I, I I'm aware of it, and I was aware of it back then, but I just for some reason it it was one I never sat down and watched. So yeah, I'm literally coming to it as a much older man. So yeah, it's. Uh, those are my takes on it at the moment, but I will I will add to your points as we're going along. So Cameron has carefully curated seven key points that he wants to discuss about Tank Girl. Um, and I'm going to introduce them each. Um, Cameron's going to, we're going to have a little discussion about them all um, and see where it takes us really. So point one, I'm going to try and do a jingle because, you know, it keeps it easier when I'm trying to figure out the editing. <laughs> point one, women and movies. The Tank Girl Credentials. Did you hear that? Was that too muffled? No, no, I got that. It was a bit muffled. It was a bit muffled. Though. Okay, w Women and Movies, The Tank Girl Credentials. So, Cameron, what, what do you want to say about Women and Movies, The Tank Girl Credentials? Well, first of all, I wrote these points to sound like mm, catching. But the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's fucking down already. Nothing. <laughs> He's like, well, this is all nonsense. Um, <laughs> So uh, Women in Movies, so Tank Girl is um, considered to be a feminist movie. Right? Although at the time of me watching it, that's not that's not the reason why I was watching it. It's not the reason why I liked it or disliked it. Um, but uh, what strikes me as interesting about that is that, uh, first of all, Tank Girl is adapted from a comic that reads like a teenage boy's wet dream. Um, honest to God, it's totally not what I was expecting when I went back and read it. Um, it's also um, actually is written by uh, two guys coming out of, uh, I think, art university. Uh, you've got Jamie Hewlett, who did the artwork, and uh, Alan Martin, who wrote these stories, I believe. And um, so it's interesting that it's considered a feminist film. Anyway, Rachel Talele, the director, was, um, I think it was her niece, 
gave her a copy of one of the Deadline uh, comics that it was originally released on. And um, she really liked it and wanted to adapt it into a movie. Um, I guess the uh, point of this is that um, you asked me to clarify the point in a, in a WhatsApp message. And I guess my addition was, is the movie industry um, a swinging dick party? Um, not that I want to sound like I am um, completely addicted to the uh, conversation of gender, but it just so happens it's Tangirl. Um, obviously, we're going back to a time in 1995 when uh, women still needed to be chaperoned by their husbands or their or their fathers in order to leave the house. So it's a surprise that uh, it was able to be made prior to the uh, the uh, Marvel movement that highlighted the existence of women and uh, women in power. Um, so uh, it's it's a mystery to me how Tank Girl ever got made in the first place. All jokes aside, mind you, uh, Talele did have a little bit of difficulty getting the movie green lit and went to a couple of different places. One of them, I think she uh, she went to uh, James Cameron and he told her that it already got a movie franchise with a female lead in it. Um, and then she went to Spielberg and the response that they got from Spielberg is that um, they don't think they're hip enough for uh, material like this. It ended up being MGM United Artists that picked up the movie. Um, and in one of the later points that we'll get into, um, they uh, completely messed with the format and annoyed a lot of the fanboys in terms of the uh, narrative output of the movie. And as I'll get into it, I can understand why that might be, but yeah, so a large amount of the uh, creative talent involved in this movie are uh, women, not just the um, uh, titular role of the tank girl. But also, you've got the director, I think the creative producer, Talele. Production, production designer. Yeah, yeah, that's her. Yeah, I've written her name down. She, yeah, she actually went on to go and direct the Twilight franchise. That's right. Yeah. more recently to us as well so yeah um i think what you were saying about the you know the whole uh gender conversation that's going on and we talk about tank girl you know really strong female lead really strong um supporting female uh character in it directed by a female um other obviously career-led female working in the background whether that's production or wherever else that was um, it sort of <clears throat> feeds a lot into at the moment. You've got like that Harley Quinn films that have come out, which are really like promoting that girl power kind of attitude. But uh, this was done obviously over 25 years ago. So for me, kind of puts that to bed and goes, yeah, do you know what? He's been just regurgitating the same old conversation over and over again. Margot Robbie was intending to um, remake Tank Girl, uh, but plans fell through. The last time I saw anything about it when I was looking for headlines was 2019, just before the famous year of the pandemic. Really? Yeah. Well, there we are then. There we are. She just went on to make the Harley Quinn. Well, there was an article that I read that was, um, did Tank Girl, uh, did Tank Girl walk so that Harley Quinn could run? And uh, it was talking about whether Tank Girl um, brought about the possibility for Harley Quinn to um, be prominent on screen. That's interesting. Mm. Um, 
because it, it's funny you guys say that about the, the elements around the film because there is some within the film there's some very strange sexual politics um in, in some of the characters actions and certainly the way the men treat the women um which i know you can read in different ways but it's kind of like couldn't work out when I was watching the film if they, they it was trying to have its cake and eating it um, because she is sexualized by most of the male characters. And that obviously is an indictment on them that that is, you know, not the way to treat her in any way, shape or form. But this is a different time and uh, place because obviously it's set in the future at the like what 30, 40 years into the future. I think it was set. Um, yeah, uh, 2030s, 2033, I think it is. Because I, I draw on the point you were sort of talking about, like the sort of the, you know, the swinging dick club bit. Um, and there was some like at the very start of the film, um, Tank Girl kind of gets her boyfriend to strip um, and kind of like that's a, a bit of a role reversal. That's a bit different. And obviously it's just a bit of play. But then there's other kind of things like um, when she's out, um, I don't know what she's doing, but she's kind of out mucking about with stuff. And then funny, the, the guy that plays um toby from the west wing turns up rich is it richard schiff i might be wrong on that um and and she does this weird tight cutting snip, scene snip. Yeah. snip snip yeah and it's kind of like it's snip, very snip. very yeah. like gotta uh, say as a as a young man yeah and even as a 40 year old that was uh <laughs> but like i say that's what makes it weird because it's adapted from a comic that is very much teenagers wet dream yeah like do, do you remember the viz yes i do Right, so Tank Girl reads very much like uh, 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 the Viz, centering on one main character, and that's that's the comic strip. It wasn't at all what I was expecting. So the idea that this film is considered feminist is interesting in that respect, con conceived by two um, well, early twenty-something uni uh, art students um, yeah. back in the nineteen eighties, and a lot of nineteen um, eighties British humour inserted into the comics as well that didn't make it into the movie, which you know for for good reason. And I can understand looking at it why the fanboys might have been disgruntled, but again, that's a point for um, in the near future. I mean, you say it has his cake and eats it too, and there is the um, I know the main sort of Kessley's main security dude who's always ragging on Jet Girl, the yeah. Naomi Watts character. Um, very sort of rapey um, sort yes. of character. Um, and she's predominantly saved by Tank Girl on uh, one or two occasions from uh, having to undergo some sort of sort of um, sexual abuse or, or physical hardship from this character. She does get a comeuppance in the end. She gets to, she just shoots him in the head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just on that, that's, that's exactly where I thought or, you know, re-watching it, and you, you start to think about the, the feminist aspects of it and what you can say about it. But the difference in character, like, basically, Jet's character arc, if you watch it, she starts off of being, you know, an attractive but very meek, very weak, silent, uh, timid girl that is abused by any man in authority, and it just like, so happens to be this guy at the moment. But then you've got Tank Girl, who completely owns what she does. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Can't, you cannot, no matter how much of a masculine man you are, no matter how much of a you know male chauvinist pig you are, like this guy, you cannot have your one over her. There's nothing that you can do. Well, the beautiful thing about Tank Girl is that she uses her sexuality as a weapon. She sexualizes herself yeah. as a weapon against the guys because yeah. she knows that she's got that power. Hundred percent. Yeah, she, she does. 
And that's kind of like what she, she, she goes in, she tries to rescue Jet, and then she tries to empower Jet with that same feminine, I don't know what the word is, just not, not bravado, whatever the, whatever the female equivalent of that is. You could have female bravado. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Confidence, just abject, <laughs> yeah. complete confidence that also makes them incredibly sexy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can't disagree with anything you've just said there, either of you. I think there's, and that's why it was a confusing thing to watch sometimes, because I think if it wasn't for the director being female, I think that changes kind of the angle you kind of come at the movie. Like, so it, it then becomes an empowering thing and she owns the she has her own agency you know she doesn't necessarily she's not being forced around but then it is written by the the original comic books were written by two men as well so it's kind of like i don't know regardless of the genders of them that's probably irrelevant to be fair but i think it's there's elements of it that that i was watching going well that feels very feminist and there are elements of it where i was thinking well that actually feels like she's being objectified within the story and kind of out of it as well but then there was other things like she showers like with her clothes on and i felt that was a very deliberate kind of i know that was due to the the way the story was anyway but i thought that was a very deliberate way of saying no we're not gonna we're not gonna objectify laurie petty either like we're not gonna give you that you know everyone knows she's gorgeous and you guys have already gone on about how much of a fantasy she was for you but they're not gonna make turn her into say a different movie like if you remember a film called barbed wire with pamela anderson yeah Um, yeah yeah that is yeah. the other way going. You know what I mean? We are literally going to turn this female into, you know, the object of male desire and, you know, with the male gaze and everything. But I mean, all right. What, one other thing I'll say on this as well, like the, the rippers um, and we'll co- talk about them a bit more later, I think, but like they, they, they kill the men, but they also objectify the women in some ways, but in a very animalistic way. And it's, it's weirdly almost innocent, even when one of them starts kind of dry humping um, Jack during that dance scene. It's it's all a bit. <laughs> I wouldn't say that it's innocent. I would say I mean, Boog is well, innocent. Nah. Innocent in a kind of, <laughs> how can I put it? It's kind of like from their point of view, it's not about, it's just about conquest. It's not about these are, these are females to be had. It's just kind of like, oh, we like them. But it was almost like literally saying in the story, uh, should we eat them or hump them? Like more or less. It was like that. That's the way they're going to go. They're you're either going to be. I think we should kill them. them. I think we should hump them first. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. Eat, hump, or kill. That's kind of like the three <laughs> options of anything. I think their version of um, snog, marry, and kill. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, anything more you want to say on that before I move on to point two? Just the, um, that first point kind of reaches out into all the other points as well so it'll keep coming up um as like something that encapsulates everything because the fact is that um you know a lot of what we're going to talk about is like it's going to it's going to rely on the the idea that this is a female-led um movie full of female characters um so yeah just something that'll um be a part of the full discussion as we go along. Alex, anything you want to say on Tank Girls Untouchable? Oh, sorry, that's the second. <laughs> Ruining it for me. Um, <laughs> anything you want to say on, that's what you get when you're scrolling down your notes on your phone, not properly looking at things. Um, anything you want to say on women and movies, um, the Tank Girl credentials before we move on to the next bit? No, I think we should just leave it there before I dig a bigger hole for myself. <laughs> oh, we're digging holes everywhere. Don't you worry about that. Um, so point two. 
Tank Girl's Untouchable Psychology, as I've ruined earlier. Um, talk to me a bit about that, Cam. So Tank Girl is um, first and foremost a comic book character. Anything that happens, Alex has touched on this already, but anything that happens to Tank Girl, she is completely unfazed. So from a psychological standpoint, she's the same character going into the movie as she is coming out of the movie. She's not the sort of character that learns something and develops. She's the sort of character that just goes through and she's, um, uh, what do they call like the Superman character? Um, well, like a James Bond, basically the character is the character. That's there's a it. word for this sort of character where the character itself doesn't change. The character is, uh, it begins with P. My vocabulary seems to have uh, ditched me right at, the, right at the worst moment. Paragon. Is it Paragon? I don't know. No <laughs> idea. I'm on my phone. I can't even Google this right now. Okay. So um, there are moments in the movie where it seems that she is affected by what's going on. Uh, one moment um, when Kesley uh, is torturing her and sends her down the hole and she has like a weird PTSD flashback. Do you guys remember that bit? Yeah. Is that yes. the second yes, time? Do, yeah. Is that the second time she goes down that duty thing? I think she only goes down the pipe once, but her the little girl ends up. Sam goes down the pipe. Oh, right, yes. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes. But when Tank Girl goes down the pipe, um, she has like a flashback of um the because she's lost her whole family. You know, you see her boyfriend for one scene, and then um, Kesley's men are there, and they destroy everything that she's got. And then the next scene, um, she's um you know offering to um uh, give head, um as 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 a threat to bite it off. Um, it's almost like nothing phases her whatsoever. She walks softly, but she carries a big gun is one of the uh, songs from the soundtrack. Um, there's no way that you can phase her soon. Um, and that's the character. Nothing seems to have any effect. You have this minute clue that there's something going on within her psychologically, but externally, there's no, there's no change in character. Nothing haunts her, nothing disturbs her. She is a complete free spirit, no matter what conflict is in front of her. And that's where a lot of the humour and jokes come from, is from the fact that that character is unchangeable. I've got an update on Paragon, by the way. Um, Paragon is a UK-based bank offering competitive rates. No, forget that. No. <laughs> <laughs> forget that. Um, that's rubbish. Um yeah, I don't know if it is Paragon. We'll have a look at that later. Um, yeah, that's that is a good point. But it should should the character change? I suppose is a question I'll ask because I I take your point, but I'm just thinking: should there be much more? Should that be the way it should be? Should it be a comic book character that is kind of unchanged throughout the whole course of the events? Is that what? Because I remember you saying on your points, it was a good point. Um, it was a classic comic book uh, style. Is that what you would say is a classic comic book style? Um, I mean, talking comic book, not graphic novel, because graphic novel is very much um, like a, a, an artwork version of a cinematic uh, narrative. So a comic book character is a character that is introduced and there's not much time taken to show development. It's just this is the character and this is the adventure the character goes on. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's... Um, natural in that it's developed from that sort of um standpoint in the first place that was the source material that that's that was kind the source of material, yeah, yeah so it's it's true to the source material in that respect where's alex gone has he disappeared 
I'm here. He's there. Sorry. <laughs> um, what do you what do you think about? It? Did you have any? Because I think Cameron, you've read some of the comic books, haven't you? I think you bought a, a few of them as well, didn't you? Yeah, I got the Titan Comics released them in full color version. So you got 1988 going through to 1995. Um, I read the first two of them, and I'm part way through uh, 93 to 95, where it looks like they're getting a little bit more detailed, but. Haven't had a flip through. There is no water and power, as far as I can see. That's a, that's an enemy conceived for the movie specifically. Um, the comic books don't really take place, as far as I can tell, in an apocalyptic world. Just a very weird world where this particular girl owns a tank and has sex with kangaroos. A specific talking kangaroo. But there's no um, there's no discussion in the comics that these kangaroos were developed. Uh, in, by with DNA from uh, human specimens or anything like that. He's and it's just Booga. There are other outlaws that are in it, but not actually the tank girl hangs out with. She just hangs out with Booga, and Booga is just a talking kangaroo. Oh, and there's no through line. There's no, yeah, sorry. There's no through line for the narrative in the comic books. It's just this is a little adventure. Tank girl's gonna get a colostomy bag for the Australian president and fails to get it to him, so he shits himself. Uh, <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> that's um, there's a, there's one episode where an Indiana Jones type character jumps through a, a, like a, a metaphysical time hole into her universe with a cloak of destiny that then gets stolen by um, the devil. But before it gets stolen, she gets some wishes, and she wishes that anybody that wears it becomes a Jimmy Savile type character. Spoiler here: Jimmy Savile hadn't been discovered at that point in time. So um, the joke was not about his paedophilic um, origins. <laughs> what was it about? Just, um, you know, how he used to help children. Oh, God. Well, wait, but, 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 fix but, it for you type thing. So yeah, yeah I, know, I know, I know. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is... So the devil then becomes a Jim will fix it character in this particular narrative for putting on the, the coat of destiny. Yeah, yeah. So you're telling me there's a comic book written back in the early 90s this is the and in one and in, and in oh uh, well whatever but in one of them there's a literal jacket that you put on that the devil wears and then he becomes Jim or Savile Jimmy Savile yeah the devil becomes yeah. Jimmy Savile yeah just saying perhaps <laughs> perhaps there's more to that Cameron than your innocent mind is maybe maybe there. you know <laughs> it, it couldn't be said but so they said it in the only way they could, they may right? they may have been onto something there. They might, yeah, subtly have been. I don't know. I, I've, I've not read the comic. It'd be interesting what. Can know, I, just for, is, for the listeners. Is there at anything home, between the line? For the listeners at home that can't um, see right now, Alex is drinking um, from what looks like a, a giant trifle bowl. Um, what, are you, <laughs> what, are you, what are you drinking? Gin what is that? I'm, I'm drinking a gin and tonic out of a balloon glass. Oh, it's probably my screen. The perspective's just gone massive. <laughs> It's like, crikey, he's got a... Look at the size of that thing. Good Lord. Um, Alex... Oh, sorry, go on, Cam. You are going to say something. So, yeah, just a through line here is that uh, the, the whole point is that a lot happens, a lot of traumatic circumstances surround the narrative of Tank Girl in the movie. And um, throughout, the, uh, the, the comic book style shows no ill effects upon Tank Girl's psychology. That's the point I'm making. That's kind of like a cool thing in the movie because... 
it turns it into kind of a cartoon. It's a live action cartoon in many respects. What I think is key to that, and I'm going to ask Alex you to expand on this, being you are massively in love with her. Um, obviously, your wife, you know, being your true love of your life. Um, but how do you think Laurie Petty plays the character? Um, what What do you make of her performance? Um, I'll go. I suppose jumped in. Um, it's manic, isn't it? Like it's Laurie Petty plays this absolute massive character that's just larger than life straight out of the comics I, i've not read the comics but you can sort of see that 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 that's where she's or at least got some of that energy from because it's not a real person that she's playing you can't you can't be like that all the time it is she's got like um a, a childlike energy almost like a kind of um giddy with glee at, at the, the things she can kind of do and like things like she's she's literally she's on a tank and she's got a barbecue on the go like you know she's kind of like she's unfazed by everything that's going around her she is just i will do i will bang to the beat of my own drum despite the apocalypse that's going on around me like and i didn't know for you two especially you two because you obviously connected with her in a, in a, in that way, you know, you know, in terms of like, she was someone you probably fancied as, as young men and probably still do now when you look at like what she, what she did in that film, but was it like anything within that film that made you draw into her? Like, cause she always, it's almost like, I don't know. Is she supposed to be a teenager? Like what, how old is she supposed to be? Young 20s, like young 20s. Do you know what I mean? Before she was 30, I would say is the kind of like age, age that she's meant to be. Um, just her confidence. I would say, you know, obviously, once you get once you get past the the feminine look, what what's really really did me was just yeah, tank girls, out and out confidence, and just bravado that she has got. She's not scared like, of anyone. She's not scared not, of anything. Yeah. She is who she is, and if she wants you, she will take you. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how it goes. Right, like you've got no choice in the matter. It's, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. And not, but not in a scary, harmful way. In a very playful way. I think, like you said, almost like a child. Like her outlook's like a like, like a child. And I think, like Cam, like what you said, with how nothing in the film, nothing that's going on around her, actually affects her character, affects her psyche, much like a child. You know, she'll just be. You know, a child might think it's a great idea to have a barbecue on a tank. They also might think, you know, one minute a child will be going through absolute hell because you've asked them to sit down on a chair and it's the worst thing you've ever done. The next minute they're laughing and giggling at a piece of light that's over there because you that's know, exactly what she's like. That's exactly it. Like one moment something terrible happens to her, and maybe it's affecting her in that moment, hence the PTSD scene. Hence, when when her when her boyfriend gets killed, she see, it seems like it's affecting her, and then the next moment, that's all gone. Yeah, she doesn't dwell on the past. That's for sure. Very resilient. Yeah, I think um, when I was watching the film, I noticed um, if do you remember like ten years ago, Miley Cyrus was really big. Like, um, she was like she she was like a huge pop star like she's still pretty famous now but she was like everyone was talking about her and it made when i was watching all era and stuff yeah. yeah and when i was watching this film i was like it, it felt to me like miley cyrus has got a bit of tank girl energy like or she did have 10 years ago when she sort of burst onto the scene in a sort of pop star 
fan. I, and I wondered, I've not looked into it, but I wondered if she was a bit of a fan of Tank Girl because it seemed like that was kind of like the two fingers to everyone. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want and I'll be as sexual as I want to be in on my own terms and I don't care what people say about me. And I think that kind of like felt like Tank Girl. Like that, That's who she was. She did. She owned herself you know and that's what is weird about the film for me i think the the character itself she's she is like very she's very resilient and she kind of like she doesn't change a lot but she kind of uses all of all of the things you like about her as as kind of weapons like her humor is almost like a bit of a weapon it kind of kills any threat from anyone that tries to give her anything she can she can immediately like like i was making a joke earlier about the straight jacket with alex but that that's that thing when she's just like they they put her in that meat freezer and she's just there and the first thing she can do after nearly like freezing to death is make a joke like yeah that that is that I do like the character I have to admit I think the character itself is I'm surprised like they've not maybe maybe there is a problem with it and we'll, I think we'll come on to the kind of the adult themes of it um, but I I'm surprised it hasn't been remade or at least someone hasn't got really far into like getting it developed. But Margot it, Robbie was was it like talked about? Was it literally about No, she bought the rights. She's got Margot the rights. Robbie's production company bought the rights, but then when the pandemic happened, it all fell through. So nothing's been happening about it. Did they get as far as even like setting foot on set or anything? Or was it just I don't think it got that far. It was pre-production. Interesting. Right, I'm going to take a gear shift now. Um, so we've talked a lot about Tank Girl herself, Laurie Petty. Um, now let's talk about point three: Water and Power and Malcolm McDowell. Um, Cameron, talk to me a little bit about this. There's a certain amount of glee coming from Malcolm McDowell, and it's been noted that he had a great time filming, whereas most people found it to be a really difficult experience because the studio really got themselves heavily involved and made it their own movie, uh, a point that we'll get onto in a short while. But Malcolm McDowell is eating the scenery and hamming it up and having the best time of his life. Um, it always astounds me, knowing what I know about him and his credentials now, thinking, how did he manage, how did they manage to get him to agree to Tank Girl? What, 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 how could they have shown him the source material and him go, yeah, I want to be in that? Um, it just seems so ridiculous. And yet, He's having the, like I say, he's having the best time. The scene that you introduced to him, where uh, it turns out that they've only got 95% of the desert and he starts smashing all the screens. And then he's like, take off your shoes to his, to the dude that's supposed to have got 100% of the water. Now walk to me. Over the guy's like walking over broken yeah. glass. Yeah. yeah. Hey. <laughs> right. And Kesley goes, you're weak. If I'd have told me to walk over broken glass, I wouldn't have done it. I'd have killed me first. <laughs> <laughs> Can't win. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. And then it turns out that Kesley himself, for reasons that I haven't quite grasped, isn't wearing shoes. Did you notice that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. That's how he rolls. And then after gate after because he uses that water contraption, stabs it into the guy's back, and the guy like all shrinks and folds up as the water is being extracted from him. And this, this brings me to that idea that you you uh, touched on when you were introducing, is uh, what flavour is that water? <laughs> and it's not chilled, surely. He's just oh, drinking it's gotta be warm. warm meat water. Warm, warm meaty blood yeah, water. But, so so he spilt, extracts the water from this dude, and then after telling this dude that he wouldn't have walked over broken glass, goes walking over the broken glass to speak to his henchman and drink this weird warm meat water. What's the last thing he says in that scene as well? Do you remember? 
It's a oh. great bad guy line. He just goes like he goes. He goes. Lovely. <laughs> and then walks off. Like I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want from my Malcolm McDowell. Did you notice what the doors are made of in Water and Power? No, I don't think I did. Yeah, watch it again. The doors are just like a strip of um, it's a strip and water falling through the holes in the strip to create like a, a waterfall um, sort of effect. Oh, right. Yeah, I was okay. thinking to myself, what if you need privacy and how do you knock? <laughs> knock, knock. Splash, splash. Oh. And do they stop the water <laughs> so you can walk through? Or do you just get a little bit wet on your way in? What, what What's the idea here? <laughs> I love that there's one later on. Um, again, anyone that's been listening, spoiler, but um, Malcolm McDowell meets a... Uh, uh, a bad end um, and nearly gets killed, but gets his, the woman that's kind of operating on him. She's very matter of fact. Your face has been gutted. Like she's <laughs> like, that's all right, love, you know, you know, give him the, you know, some whistles and bells of it. Don't just give it him like that. You know, um, head more or less taken. This is yeah. after the Ripper attack at outpost five. Yeah. So the Ripper's getting tank back out again. And it seems like, um, you know, Chopping someone's head off in the future isn't the end. You can come back as a hologrammatic head or something and, and still live on. I haven't quite grasped Ooh. how that worked. You guys got any takes on that? Are you looking for some sort of logical science to explain? No. Possible? I'm just after a reason that that could even exist as a as a potential happening. I, I've no, I don't know. <laughs> I just went, because what we need is that head needs to come off. Because there's a mystical Eastern dude that says it's possible and then it's done. So that's that's how I know it's possible. The mystical Eastern yeah, dude it's, that's it's, in everything. Um, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's just in there, isn't it? It is Tank Girl and Tank Girl isn't a film set in reality. It is a comic book and you have to accept that. I, no, I get I that. Think. I am not disputing that. I just want a bit of explanation about snipping someone's head off that they can then carry on as a hologram. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not after a lot here, you know? Have now, you just seen? To, just to wind this back a little bit, just to point out water and power is a corporation in this apocalyptic future that controls all of the water. And in this particular, in the start scene that I was just talking about, they're celebrating. That's how it starts. It turns out that they're not celebrating because they only claimed 95% of the desert but it begins with them celebrating. And what are they celebrating with? Water. Water. Wine glasses flutes, water. Little champagne flutes of water. And I'm thinking, surely you drink water every day and more than a champagne flute full. Surely, surely, just because you control the water, that doesn't mean that you've got so little imagination that all you can think to celebrate with is a champagne flute of the stuff that you just yeah. drink normally. It, I mean, Especially like you... You think if you've got a lot of water, you would turn some of that into, let's say, alcohol or something I, I that you can't. Millions yeah. of gallons of water. Uh, you know, it's, it's actually coming out of their ears. I mean, depending on where they insert that tool that he's got. <laughs> it was James Hong, the guy that did the uh, the snipping, and he's in a lot of other films as well. I just noticed his his face when he came in. Malcolm McDowell, though, like. Um, it sounds like, from what I've read, and I've, I've done my own bits of reading, and you have to be careful when you're reading stuff on the internet about any films because some of it's not always true. But it sounds like, and it's logical, that the the director was a big fan of A Clockwork Orange, and I've, I've got a feeling that that may have been what kind of sold Malcolm McDowell as as the bad guy. I think, you know, back, think back to 95, 
bearing in mind, um, Clockwork Orange was still one of the most infamous movies around because it was still withdrawn from release until five years later. So Malcolm McDowell right. probably held a a very uh, cult and mystical status for a lot of people back then. And he, I think he would have only been in his 40s or 50s, I think, when he made this film. Probably 50s of how great he was. Um, and I think it, Malcolm McDowell's name, you know, I, I hadn't really heard of him until I'd watched Clockwork Orange a few years later, but I think he was quite a big deal to some people back then. But I don't think he was getting the parts. He seems to show up in everything these days, like as the generic bad guy. I've seen him play this type of part loads of times in lots of other different films, but not quite like the way he plays it in Tank Girl. Mm. But the guy's a legend. Like he's fantastic in everything you see him in. And I don't, I don't dis. Yeah, I think you're right. He he goes in on this part. He he is going for it, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to enjoy being the kind of the the British raspy bad guy. I think he's got that. He he just seems to have that way. I think he was in Heroes as well, and he played a bit of a bad guy in that, if I remember right. Um, and he seems to like chewing up the scenery. Um, but yeah, um, Water and Power was that. I'm trying to think, was that an idea stolen from, I'm trying to get my logic right. So the 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 Mad Max that we watched recently, um, that was a water problem story. Was the previous Mad, was Mad Max the early ones? Was there an issue there with water supply? Basically, was Tank Girl influenced by Mad Max back in the, the um, 80s? The, the, the original Mad Max film was yeah. just sort of set, set more in a dystopian future. Yeah. Would it anything then to do the with late, water? The late, the later films, kind of, you got more and more removed from living in a real world. So the first Mad Max film, there were actual police and actual towns and cities and stuff like that. But then, as the films went on, they became less and less part of it, and it became more like Tank Girl. You know, everyone's just living a nomadic or just very out there kind of like lifestyle. So I should imagine in, in, in things like Beyond the Thunderdome and the other Mad Max films that came after that, that, yeah, water, like food, would have been a scarce resource. Yeah. And, and they uh, were both yeah, in Australia. Sorry, in Tank Girl, it's specifically because of a comet that's hit the planet and there's no more rainfall. And so um, people are, as we're introduced to Tank Girl, she lives in like a, a commune where they've got like one of the last remaining pumps outside of water and power. And that's why um, when we're introduced to the commune uh, very soon after that, in fact, I think it's a scene after we're introduced to water and power, they get attacked. And they find yeah. out they siphoning water. And it's hilarious because they kill everyone. And then for some reason, obviously for the movie, so there can be a movie, they don't kill Tank Girl. And there's a, there's actually, there's a good reason why she's able to be so cheeky and to not be affected by any of the uh, conflict because there are never any consequences for her specifically, for her, for her as a person. Like they kill everybody and then decide to hit her with the butt of a gun. She gets taken to um, Kessley and Kessley doesn't know that they've kept her alive, but he decides that she's going to work for Water and Power now. It's like everything's very contrived to get her character through the narrative. It's quite funny in that respect. Do you like taking orders without any real care for your well-being? Do you love working in a variety of global locations? 
do you have family you rarely speak to? Well, Henchman Temps is the opportunity you've been craving. Stay working as a temp for as long as you like with our low-commitment contracts. With links to all the best global terrorist organizations, the rest of your team are just dying for you to get involved. Contact us now by searching Henchman Temps on the dark web. So, point four, the music of Tank Girl, um, and you've kind of drawn on Let's Do It, the narrative into it. I'll come, I'll come to you in a second, Cam, um, but you mentioned earlier, Alex, like that was like one of your favourite kind of soundtracks, like from when you were younger. Is there any any songs in particular that you, that you were really like enjoyed? Rose, just all of, all Rose by Porter's Head. Rose by yes. Porter's Head. Yes. It's song, the song that's playing when she takes her dust or sand shower. I, when it comes to being a moody... A, a moody um, teenager who, with, um, like, yeah, 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 real sad, sad music that I was into. What, what do you call them? Emo. I guess it's emo music nowadays. Yeah. Would be what it's called, but it was before the days of emo and just, yeah, Porter's Head, Rhodes. Absolutely love that. That that one single track out of everything is my... Yeah. One of your favorites, yeah. yeah. Oh, I listened to a little bit of what I said on the back of that recently and realised that there's absolutely no uplifting tracks, at least none that I've managed to um, find myself at this point in time. Good band. They're, not, they're not happy music uh, band. So uh... no, no, but it's good music. It's good yeah, music. Yeah, it's not. It's not like. I'd I'd kind of say they're in between, like. Um... Remind me of like a, I don't know if you guys know Zero Seven and um, Radiohead. They're kind of like a, a nice in betweener to those kind of tunes but I, I like Portis Head I think um a lot of the music in the in the soundtrack was very 90s indie pop which kind of makes sense for when it was released but there is did you notice some of the other sort of themes that they were trying to intersperse in there as well one blatant one that you want to talk about come but like other there's other songs that aren't 90s at all there's where one... are we going with this well this well, is this is the one that this is the point well, there is just before we get to that. Oh, Cole Porter. What was it like? Nineteen twenties, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you? Why did they do that? What was the kind of why? Why do that in the middle of the film? I, 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 I cannot. I've watched it twice, and I each. I mean, it's entertaining, but I don't know why they needed to do that. But this is just it. I, this is what I point it out because, like I said before, the whole movie is illogical. It's a logical captain. But that particular part of the movie stands out as like just absolute, uh, it's it's absolute nonsense is what it is. Absolute bloody nonsense. And then she starts doing a whole kind of musical routine. I like the way she sings it as well when she, when Laurie Petty's singing it, there's something, again, that childlike, um, vim and vigor that she's got about it. it it gives a different tone and then obviously at the very end of the film it goes in i don't know who sings it but they do a rock version of it as well so it's like i was like why is what i mean i know what the song let's do it's all about but like why is that in the film like what is i'm not 100 percent on that <laughs> one all i know is that it's a real tone it's a tonal shift it's an instant tonal shift from what is you mentioned iggy pop at the very beginning in the intro iggy pop's not in the movie that long no but 
He's in it for like 30 seconds and he's like some sort of weird pedophile character. Yeah, dirty pedophile that reminds me of Cruella de Vil. Yeah, and the uh, the madam, <laughs> um, is it Silvers? The um the, the the club that they go to? Yeah, I don't know. I'll take your word for it. I don't know what it's called, yeah. So it starts off where the madam's like, oh, he wants a little girl. Well, send Sam in. And they're like, she's just a little girl. And she's like, she won't be for long. And then she meets up with a paedophile dude and she's got that like uh, little med- metal gadget. Clapper. The, the oh, clapper. It yeah. releases. They'll and... clap on, clap off. And so she's very close to being like the the, the victim of sexual abuse in mm. that particular moment. And then all of a sudden we get, if you don't do this song and dance, I'm going to chop your hair off. It's like, it doesn't seem like much of a punishment, but the madam's like fearful enough to start singing. Yeah. And not only is there a musical interlude, but the whole club starts to sing along with her yeah like, how come this film has suddenly turned into a musical they're doing the can can there's like I don't, I don't know what's happening it's... There, was, there was no clue that this was about to happen no and they've literally just saved the little girl from the clutches of the pedophiles now they're having a song and dance how come right in that moment the dude who was at their main headquarters who was trying to rape jet girl is suddenly upstairs at the silver or the silver club or whatever it's called, waiting to um, send the troops in because Tank Girl's there. He's literally he's literally at the venue. Like, how big is this apocalyptic world? <laughs> yeah. Is it just a couple of blocks or something? You know, this, this even though it's set in the the future, they don't all seem to be on mobile phone networks. They don't seem to have cracked that one yet. They don't seem to be. Uh, they don't have iPhone. Find find me technology like they just seem to be you know doing their own thing, but yeah I I have to admit when I saw that song come up I had to rewind the film because I I genuinely thought I'd blacked out and missed something, and then <laughs> <laughs> do you know when you're watching a film and you're like I've I'm lo- I've I've must have switched off here because I'm lost and then I went back I was no I didn't miss anything it, that's exactly what just happened, um yeah I mean so I I kind of just assumed always have just assumed that it was just part of like from the it's from that comic book world you know it, it, it's a little like because there's also the scene that i think i think another scene that it's a bit weird is it, it the storyboarded there's a whole storyboarded sex scene isn't there have i remembered that correctly there's a few storyboarded sections because apparently sections there were like yeah minutes that they f- forgot to film and so they had to um, fill the scene. Oh, is that is that why they forgot to film it? Right. Okay. <laughs> That's why they're in there. And one okay, of the reasons, that... though, one of the reasons as well why I wanted to talk about the soundtrack is because the uh, person that um, curated the soundtrack. Now, it's not her that's named. It's somebody else. So she was she she had some involvement, though, was Courtney Love. Yes, that's all um, that. She, one of the tracks on the on the movie is from her band Hole. I can't remember what the actual track's called, but it got me to thinking because um, it must have been a way to keep her mind active and, and distracted at that point in time because this came out in the United States on the 31st of March. I think you said it came out in June in the UK, did you say? Yeah, 25th of June in the UK. Which means that they would have been filming and filming in production towards the back end of 1994 um so you know courtney love is just getting over the suicide of um kurt cobain at that point in time must have been a really difficult time for her because it was april 1994 that he committed suicide by shotgun of all ways to do it 
And um, it was just something that I found quite intriguing that um, she, she'd want to be working so soon. I mean, do you think that's soon? It seems quite soon. Sometimes. Well, I think, I, I, soon enough for your, for your theory there, to be correct. Like, whether you're working or not, it's, it's anything you're doing at that point in time is still all so fresh that, yeah, it's just a, a distraction from, from, you know, the grief that you're going through. I, I so. did not I, I had not put any of that together I mean as far as far as music goes in this film um I didn't actually realize any of that. I'm not quite big into the music or whatever but Hewlett is something to do with the gorillas isn't he like that, yeah, that's the yeah. only connection to, yeah. like 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 I, I just know that connection between tank girl and and music apart from the music that's in the film but it's going a little think- bit wider yeah I think Courtney Love, and and we, I think there's a whole list of people that were potentially auditioned or muted for the role of Tank Girl. But I think um, Courtney Love was one. Again, I don't know if this is like lots of internet rumor. She was rumored to be one of the ones that they were looking at, and the reason, obviously, for obvious reasons, potentially that she wouldn't have done it. But yeah, um, Bjork's also on the soundtrack as well. Um, massive '90s, like staple of '90s music. Bjork, um, another person again. They claim that was looked at for the role of Tank Girl. No, um, she was going to play. So they wanted oh, to play, um, Sub Girl. Yeah, but, sorry, yeah, not Tank Girl. You're right. Um, um, but she declined because she was more interested in her music career at the time. Also, I noticed with the music, um, when um, she first finds her tank, the Shaft theme music is going over, <laughs> like um, which I found quite. It, it it was a a, a a sound as well that was tended to be used for a lot of um, adult entertainment uh, movies back in the 70s as well, the Shaft theme. So I think there was more than just a hint of uh, uh, a nod and a wink to to the camera with that way she was kind of stroking the, the barrel and everything. I think it was Can very... Just, oh, definitely. Can I just segue definitely. on that point a little bit? Because in that particular scene, um, she's working down in the water and power mines so they've told her, they've asked her if she'll work for water and power and she's declined. So they've put her to work in the mines. And whenever, when the bell goes for everybody to go back to their cells, she's hidden off camera, but she's hidden in a pipe, but nobody's noticed her getting the pipe. And then she climbs out the pipe and then the, the shaft music plays. She, she, she discovers a tank because there's no tank at this point. The tank is in the water and power. It's in the water and power mine. And I was like, what kind of mine is this? This is really <laughs> strange. And there's also planes in there as well. So it's like, it turns out it's, it's not just a mine that they're working in. It's a full-on hangar. Like, yeah. Hang on a minute. What's going anyway, on? <laughs> so everybody else has gone. She's then climbed into the tank and um, said, pressed some buttons and said some nonsense. And the tank's closed and locked and the cyanide starts spraying. And then you find out that Jet Girl is also... For some reason, hanging around, just just hanging around, hanging around. Chilling. Maybe she was hiding in another pipe. We don't know. Special, I, yeah, but I just a few jet girl was there because of Jet's special privileges. So she was allowed, like it is mentioned, isn't it? She has special privileges. Yeah, like, to vehicles that she privileges. could easily, yeah, to easily like, escape from. Yeah. But why have you? Why have you not used your flight privileges to get the get the hell out of there? I don't. I don't understand. Like, well. <laughs> She just likes working on that machinery. That's all it is. It's uh, well, it's a whole, uh, um, it's a whole thing on um, what do they call it? Um, Stockholm syndrome, isn't it? Yes, yes. She's falling in love with her captors, but not to the point of wanting to make love to them. Yeah, either that, or it's just abject fear. If you know there's nowhere you can go, there's nothing you could do. You could get in that plane and fly it off, 
and eventually they will find you and then they'll yeah. kill you or you just fly it around and you go home I, yeah, you're right. There's no clue. There's no indication as to how many times she's been captured. Right. And also, Jet's Jet Jet's character. That's that's the other thing about her character, isn't it? Jet's character wouldn't try to escape because she she wouldn't. She's got nowhere to go to. She's got no one. She she hasn't even got you know enough um, faith in herself to be able to just get out. At least at the beginning. Okay. I know this is supposed to be us talking about a soundtrack, but just one quick question. What are they mining for? Uh, they are digging uh, for water are... sources, no? Yeah. Get no? down close to the water. Is that what it is? Well, I don't know. Maybe. So you can install <laughs> big ass pumps. Is that what it was? Sand. So you can have sand showers. It seems legit. <laughs> They're digging for sand. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah. they made the sand track. Very grungy, a lot of lot of grunge, um, and maybe for the reasons that we've spoken about uh, just just a few moments ago, um, decided not to use any of Cobain's work. Fair enough. Um, the actual comic books themselves are very British punk to the point where there's even some artwork of um, Tank Girl on the Nevermind the Bollocks um, soundtrack cover. Um, and yet, in the movie, they don't use any punk music. That could be a rights thing. Um, I've devised a few questions for later. For There's one band in particular. Um, yeah, the, there's a few bands they wanted to use, but they couldn't um, for a, a variety of reasons. I think budget, and like we've just sort of talked about the kind of like unfinished scenes, I think music, they, they managed to get a few reasonably big hitters, but some of it is quite un yeah it's not as well-known music i don't think i don't think i think it's a good portishead song but i don't know if that was one of their big hits if i'm honest i think that was one of their lesser known tracks at the time yeah, um, yeah. so yeah i don't yeah i think that was probably one of the things because i agree with you cam i was thinking exactly that when i was watching i was like why aren't they using more punk music like why haven't they got any like the clash on here or you know i don't know why haven't they even, i know it's american why not they've gone for the ramones or something like the sex pistols you're right like why haven't yeah. why did they go but in fairness the movie then has that kind of 90s feel to it as well which has its own place i feel so it then was it um the magnificent bastards did uh mocking mockingbird girl was was that the one that they did um because the one that they recorded was recorded specifically for tank girl and then obviously ice t um, recorded a tune for the credits which and i think there's a i think it's a moment in the last action sequence that that appears as well when she's parachuting down to water and power from the top of the tank um, but yeah, you might be right. There might have been some rights issues, but there were also some tunes that were specifically recorded, including the um, Cole Porter. They re-recorded that one. Yeah, which as, I'm sure that would have cost a bit of money because that's a hell of a big tune. But, you know, like, yeah, that you're right. It was, um, what was the name of the band again? So yeah, the Magnificent Bastards, Mockingbird Girl. Yeah, um, I've got to, right, I'm going to race to the next point because I'm determined for us to make this podcast shorter than the film we're talking about. Right, yeah, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be, that's got to be my aim. That's otherwise. the rule. That's, That's gotta the be. The podcast's gotta be yeah. shorter than but, the film we were. But then we'll just end up cheating and just using modern movies that are three hours long. You know. Anyway, that's I'm not going to moan about that. Point number five. Um, 
prosthetic penises and stripper kangaroos. <laughs> a, a sentence I never thought I'd say. Um, Cameron, talk to me. Well, this is outside information. This this goes beyond the movie, and it was uh, because it's stuff that's been cut. So, uh, like okay. five thousand five thousand dollars was spent on um, building a ripper prosthetic penis. Yeah, for, uh, a sex scene between Tank Girl and Booger. Doesn't that seem a bit odd? Sorry, I know you're going to go on your point, but don't you think that's a bit? I know one one that they would even think of using a dildo. And then spending five thousand dollars on it, like I don't, I don't, I don't it's know. It's weird. What... Out, costs just quickly add up, don't they? They just quickly add up. What? What would I? I? I have to admit, I wanted to. I googled it. I there. It's on my Google history. I wanted to see what that thing looked like, and I couldn't find it because I was intrigued. I was like, well, that's got to be one damn, <laughs> damn fine dildo. That's... And then they cut it. They cut it out. Um, yeah. So it was a lot of money wasted, really. Um, for a movie that eventually became R-rated in the United States anyway. Um, I think that's one of the uh, points that I've, uh, I've added to the list. Yes, yeah, the you surprise R-rating. Um, um, before we get into that one, though, like the, the Rippers themselves, what did you think of the Rippers? They were introduced as quite a horrific um, quota in the movie. Very... Um, Initially, saw them very much like um, through the eyes. You remember the, uh, the uh, Predator movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger? I do. I'm very, yeah, very Rippers well. were introduced like uh, like that with uh, heat vision, um, and so the attack on Outpost Five that um, occurs after Tank Girl arrives, because the one that we when we're introduced to Outpost Five, it's already being attacked by the Rippers, and they're about to send Tank Girl down into one of their um, bases. And then the Rippers attack again. That's how Kessley loses his, um, in the end, loses his head and his arm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Rippers are introduced as like these uh, predator type, um, horrific characters. But when you actually get introduced to them, they've almost got like a comedy element to them. Yeah. And they look like dogs to me. Um, like they don't look like kangaroos in my, what I would think a yeah. kangaroo would look like. They spent four, I think each of them spent like four odd hours a day getting all of the uh, kangaroo uh, makeup put on. Wow. And iced tea. I could clearly tell it was iced tea. Clearly. Iced tea at that point in time wasn't a big movie star. So doing a couple, you'd be able to look this up. So a little bit of trivia. He wasn't a big movie star. Um, they offered him, this was his biggest paycheck, a million dollars to play uh, what he thought was a stripper. He was like, yeah, okay, a stripper. And I'm like, so he misheard, first of all. Like, so yeah, he misheard, totally misheard the character. You're yeah. a ripper. Oh, I'm a stripper. Yeah, I'm a stripper. And then they're like, <laughs> it's um, like um, humanoid kangaroos. Oh, man, it's a ripper, isn't it? And they told him it was like humanoid kangaroos. He thought, that's a bit weird. Okay, so I'm a stripper kangaroo. Yeah, sounds fine. A stripperoo. Stripperoo. A stripperoo. So like I say, in the comic book, there's no, um, they're not messed with DNA as far as I can see. It's just so happens that Booga is a talking kangaroo that Tank Girl has sexual relations with. And um, in the actual movie, uh, they're an army that have been put together by... Um, the, the chosen one, what's his name? He gets sent to them dead, doesn't he? What's their... What, the Ripper? What's the name of their lead? No, yeah, they, they have uh, a leader. Johnny Prophet. Johnny Prophet. Yeah. Johnny Prophet. Johnny, yeah, sorry, yeah, Johnny Prophet. Yeah, um, another nonsensical part of the movie that I love is um, when they go in and pretend to be um, photo photographing the uh, uh, calendar. 
and the henchmen all get uh, get uh, totally into it. And what it is, they're, they're there um, trying to prove to the Rippers that they are going to be a trusted part of the team because the Rippers still don't trust them. And so they sent them out to this um, potential weapons shipment and they've asked them to go in and prove it. And IT, previously being a cop, um, is totally dubious of them and completely unwilling to place any faith in them. So every time they um, manage to do what they've been asked to do, he's like, we, it don't matter, do the whole thing yourself. So they go in um, they film the weapons to prove that there's weapons in the crates. And then when they've managed to get the weapons, Ice-T says, no, bring the whole thing back. So then the next scene, and they probably filmed this for the uh, posters, is Tank Girl driving alongside the truck, actually out on the uh, turret of the tank itself in the stripy trousers, yeah. pants down like a, like a tiger waiting to jump onto the truck. Now, all of this is great as far as the audience is concerned because of details that we don't know at this point in time. It seems like they're there to hijack a truck full of weapons. So they managed to disable all the henchmen who are fighting back and then, weirdly, after they've taken all the henchmen out of the truck, Jet Gale goes up in a jet, sees that the road doesn't go anywhere. Now, I've watched it a few times and never really picked up on this, but I'm like, the road actually culminates at the top of a massive cliff. And the henchmen <laughs> would have been driving this way anyway. And my question is, <laughs> where the hell were they going? I the think. mine. They were going to the mine. That's where the opening to that mine is. I think that the scriptwriters at the time went, what we need at this point is a cliffhanger. And they didn't really think very far <laughs> ahead. They just went, she's on and a road. Later on, after um, Reggie Cathy has done his little um, beatnik poem moment. And by the way, Reggie Cathy, we're talking Freeman. Yeah. We love this guy. Absolutely. Um, and it's him that recites the uh, beatnik poem that my brother um, sent to me on WhatsApp. Um, it's complete nonsense. The whole thing makes no sense. It's um, laugh, you butterfly that dances in the mud. Laugh, you piece of dental floss. You burn me toast. Okay, cool. The hell does that? And then he does a little saxophone moment. Then it's laugh, you pig that flies in the sky with rainbow Twinkies and three litres of high-octane petrol. It's like, the hell are you going on about? <laughs> what is that? Anyway, my brother has that memorised for reasons. Like, I've got the Ezekiel um, thing out of Pulp Fiction memorised. It's just one of those things he knows. Um, so, yeah, Reggie Cathy, Ripper. Um, he's the uh, one that actually um, faces his own mortality towards the back end of the movie. Yes. He is indeed. Um, what was the point I was making in the first place? Oh, yeah. Say he oh, played so after he's after he's completed his poem. They open up the um, weapons crates and find them all empty except for one that's got Johnny Prophet in it. So then my mind's going, okay. So in hindsight, they've been screwed over. But did the henchmen? Did the henchmen know because they were they were driving like like they had weapons in the truck and they were they were defending the truck like there were weapons there. Now it may be that they'd be given orders to kill uh, Tank Girl at any cost. But when you watch the movie and anyone that's listening to this podcast, have a look at that scene and knowing what you know, is it not the most hilarious thing? Isn't it the most nonsensical and hilarious thing that you've seen? I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Amongst other things in this movie that are absolutely ridiculous, it's not something that I hate the movie for. It's something that it just epitomizes what the movie is. But I thought I'd point it out. 
the prayer dance was funny. Oh, by the oh, way, yeah. um, just a slight <laughs> a, a side note: it, Reggie Caffey plays um, Norman Wilson in The Wire, not uh, Lester Freeman. Um, that's another guy. But yeah, because um, otherwise we'll get hate mail. But yeah, um, the prayer dance. Oh, is like, Lester Freeman the? Um... Lester Freeman is. Uh, now nah, you see, I'm going off on one now, but I, I, it is the actor is. Da-da-da-da. Alex is like, yeah, Lester Freeman is Clark Peters. Um, yeah. I don't know why we needed to know that, but me and Cameron, for the listener, are massive The Wire fans, <laughs> and we, we feel the need to say very accurately what happened. You haven't watched The and Wire, I feel, have you, Alex? I haven't watched it, no. Oh, wow. it's, it's one of those series that I haven't watched. Um, maybe one day I will get into The Wire. The Wire. I can watch that. The Wire, um, and then I can yeah. watch that. The prayer dance, though. That, that I, I, Again, another thing where I was like, What's going on? Like, have I blacked out again? Like, and then obviously the, the uh, is it Boogood sort of turns around and sort of says, "Oh yeah, we're doing a, a prayer dance," and then the dry humping happens, and um, it all gets a bit strange. Um, but yeah, the, the the I mean, it was strange anyway. The, the film is a strange on top of strange on top of strange. Um, there's a lot of that going on throughout. Um, I'm gonna have to next two points. Um, otherwise, again, the, we're gonna go on longer than the film. Um. Point six, pissing off the fan base, a studio addiction. Um, so like you said, Cam, the film was badly received by fans um, of the comics, that is. So who's th- who is this movie for? Like, you know, you, you you guys, you want to put this on the watch list. Like, who who was this movie made for in 1995? Like, what, what was the reason for it? Okay. Uh, Alex, yeah. Go, go on, Cam. Oh, okay, okay. Because I think, I think Cameron having gone down that rabbit hole of getting into the comics rather a much more in-depth answer to this. I think the film was made for me and Cameron and every other 14 to 16-year-old boy that was going to watch that. I think it was made for, for, for adolescent males. <laughs> the thing is, the movie was badly received. Like it was considered a massive failure, and yeah. Rachel Talaley said it, it put her in film jail for about ten years afterwards. Yeah, it didn't and... make any money, did it? Like, I don't think it made the money that it cost. Like, it lost money, I'll get the and it kind of cost a lot of money to make in the first place. Massive failure. Now it's now you mentioned earlier that it's got cult status, and as a lot of movies that have cult status start off as flops a lot of the time. Yeah. Movies that are badly received in the beginning. Who was this film made for? Well, the studio, this is what I don't understand, is the studio greenlit a movie that was to be adapted from a comic book series that already had a fan base. This happens so much. It's crazy. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily a bad thing. Just observing that this is a thing that seems to occur. And I have... A strange feeling that it's all to do with risk and a studio that seems to not want to take any, uh, being MGMUA. Rachel Tulele says that she felt that the studio just didn't understand the material. And part of the reason why um, she uh, had a really bad experience on the set of Tank Girl is the interference that uh, mm. MGMUA kept um, bringing to the table. In the end, it was their movie, not her movie not the movie that she wanted to make, but the movie that the studio felt that they wanted. Um, So I guess the studio was trying to make a movie for a mainstream audience. 
But what I don't understand is when you've got source material such as Tank Girl, then you've already got a following for that source material. And if you're making a movie, surely the um, minimum risk is to make a movie for the people that are already into Tank Girl. This is why I don't understand this risk aversion tactic, because it feels like the opposite to me. I've got a theory. Um, and I think it, if you think about it, predates the way superhero and comic book movies especially are made now. So the director's fingerprints, you're right. No, I think back then, superhero and comic book movies were not box office gold at all. In fact, they were probably the opposite. So that's why the meager budget and that's why the studio interference with a lot of things like they threw a few names in there, like you said, Malcolm McDowell, Ice-T to kind of get the, the younger crowd involved. But it wasn't the time where they would let a director kind of loose with that kind of source material. Now, I know, Alex, you have some things to say about Marvel. Maybe we'll do that in another podcast. But like uh, with Marvel, for all their good points and bad points, they will let a director have a vision. Um and I don't think this film had a vision. I think this film felt pieced together from lots of different things. There was a few bits I could see the director's voice and there were other bits where I just, it felt disconnected. The comic book bits in between, although they were pretty to look at, I almost felt like, go, I'd rather just watch um, 30 or 40 minutes of a com comic book graphic kind of adaptation as opposed to interspersed into scenes where they clearly couldn't afford the budget for what they were trying to do. So basically my point is I think comic book movies back in 95 were still not going to be like given the full uh, confidence of the producers. And I think that's why the studio interference, I think that's why the director ultimately had a bad experience because it was the wrong time. Made that film now. I bet that director would have a far better, Rachel Tulele, I think would have a far better experience. That's my take. I, I, I totally agree with that, actually, which is sort of like goes back to why the film just ended up being one for teenage lads to watch because ultimately it wasn't that good of a film. Um, <gasps> in terms of in terms of films, like don't right, <laughs> like in, in terms of like films and storytelling, it you know it wasn't that great for every reason that you have just said. It it it, it was it was something that was someone's vision that got butchered by a group, a, a panel of people that were just then trying to rescue it. Money men. Yeah. Money men in the only way that they knew. How. Right. Uh, moving on, moving on swiftly to the last point. Um, Cameron, you, you mentioned the unexpected R ratings. Now I think um, we're obviously British. Um, our ratings are slightly different um, in America. So just for the purposes of any American listeners, if ever what they want to listen to us, which would be great in in Britain, we at the moment anyway have um, P U P G twelve A fifteen eighteen. Those are our ratings. And actually, that. back back when this was released, would a twelve A even have existed? No, not then. Not um, no, I thought it would have just been U P G fifteen eighteen. No, um, twelve A twelve A is like. A, so, a, I, I think it was released as a fifteen in the UK. I don't yes. think it was released as an 18. I think you're right, Cam. Yeah, that's what I understood. But just, yeah, you're right. Our ratings in America were slightly different. So basically, our ratings means children under 17 require an accompanying parent or adult guardian. So, which is a bit, I have to admit, that's but interesting. It's a bit equivalent to a 15 then. But yeah. A bit odd. A bit. But America, then you can get so in. It's a bit odd. What, 
Like, why 17? At what point, at what age are you allowed to watch anything that you want? Well, that's what I mean. It seems like you can go in if you're, like, one years old with a parent and watch this, like, or whatever an R-rated Well, movie. Well, I get that, like, irresponsible but, parent. But, but at what yeah. age, at what age are you allowed to go and watch anything in America? Um... Or is R-rating the highest rating you can get? So it's, like, basically in America, you're allowed to just go and watch any film you want. Typical horror movie rating. Yeah, so it is the equivalent of an eighteen, except yeah. in America, like in England, it's you. Are, it's eighteen and above. You know, it's like um, drinking. Yeah, our, our rating um, is the top rating, the highest age restriction. But, but as a as a five year old, you can go with your dad and go and watch uh, American Werewolf in London. And NC seventeen is the highest rating, which is even higher than the R rating that a is film it? can be given. So it means the movies for ad- it's an eighteen and up above. So you've got R rating, and then you've got NC seventeen, which is your eighteen years old for us in in Britain. So, but but yeah, okay. going on to your point, Cam. Like so, like, did you think the the rating? But with that in mind, now does that change the what you were thinking in terms of like how it was? Um, rated as a movie in terms of American audience and British audience? Well, some of these points are listed on the back of reading about it. And uh, one of the things that were noted was that um, if the uh, studio was having so much input in terms of making sure that the movie was uh, available for a mainstream audience, why did it end up getting rated R? Now, one of the arguments is that if it was a male-led action movie rather than a female-led action movie, then it wouldn't have been an R-rated movie in the first place. So the initial argument is this is because it's a woman doing these things. Laurie Petty said if she knew that it was going to be R-rated, she'd have done the whole thing naked. Yes, I heard her say that, yes. Oh, right. Like surely, like I don't know. I'm just trying to think, like, what, how you'd get into an R-rated, or, or I don't know how it works, but surely just a scene where you stab somebody with a device that then sucks all the liquid out of them and turns it into a refreshing liquid H2O drink would be enough to push you into that R-rating category. You know, I'd agree that you don't want that to be a PG in the UK. It, it definitely makes that a 15. That just that just that act there. Do you reckon? Because yeah. that that was only all you see is the hand go shriveled up and the, and an arm. I think you don't see any right. kind of face no, or anything. It's, else. The, the action is it's not it's not about what you see, is it? It's, it's also it's the whole action of everything. Right, the the film that goes Jeff, along with arachnophobia it. with uh, Jeff Daniels. What's that? That's arachnophobia. Thing, yeah, yeah, That's I know PG. arachnophobia. That was released is as it? a thing. What was um what was Raiders of the Lost Ark? That was a PG as well, wasn't it? With a face, a head exploding and face melting at the end as well. But that, I mean, to that was fair. only one moment. To be fair, it's probably nice to do some exploration of um, what used to make it into a PG film. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Back the, in the, the point, 80s, what was considered PG in seventy. The point is, the filmmakers were um, annoyed, surprised and annoyed that um, the uh, film itself had been rated R when if it was going to get that sort of rating, they may as well have been given free reign to put in the prosthetic penis for a start to Mm. have, because there was an issue with there being sexual relations between a human and a kangaroo that the studio really wasn't down with. 
Um, they altered the kangaroos to be a bit more humanoid in the movie and didn't try to raise that idea until a little bit later on into production. So you get a little bit of a relationship between Tank Girl and Booger in the film itself. Um, but the argument is, if it was going to be R-rated anyway, they may as well have been given free reign to adapt some of the more racy stuff um, from the comic books into the film itself. Not necessarily what Alan and Jamie wanted. Like They, they wanted all the Keith Chegwin jokes to be included and apparently kept trying to um, submit scripts with very British-related humour attached. Um, that just they never accepted no matter how many times they tried to sneak it through. Um, so, I mean, on that side of things, I feel that the British nature of the writing style was a little bit alienating to what the studio itself would have wanted being American themselves. But the certain elements that um, the filmmakers feel they wanted to include such as the relationship with Booger or, you know, the like say that again, just because I like to say it, prosthetic penis. Um, <laughs> they, they just felt, why why take all this control away from them in order to make a movie that everybody can see and then slap it with an R rating that prevents their target audience from going to see it on their own anyway? I've I, If you look at the, some of the stuff that's in the film, it's, I mean, it's not by any means graphic, but I think that they've probably got a few problems for themselves in terms of... Um, there's a there is a few bloody corpses in there, uh, you know, nothing huge, but there are they are in there. There's a, a pretty obvious oral sex joke. Um, there's references to paedophilia. There's child trafficking reference, same sort of thing, um, and lots of sex references in general, but nothing really explicit. So, I don't know if again if it was the studio interference, but it felt like it was it, it the tone of it was a bit uneven because. I think if you'd have taken some of those sex gags out, you didn't need the kind of paedophile angle that they probably would have got a much lower rating. If I'd have cut about a couple of bits out or just tweaked them slightly, I think they would have got a much lower rating. So, yeah, I think there must have been an issue with how far they wanted to push it. Maybe stuff was taken out and that's what it was left with. Like When we talk about it, it seems to highlight things in a much more sinister way than it's portrayed in the movie. Hmm. Um, like when people talk about the narrative of Back to the Future, the actual narrative, it sounds really bad when you talk about it, but the film doesn't portray it in that light. So obviously in Back to the Future, he goes back and, and to try and uh, make sure that his uh, mum and his dad uh, meet up um, and almost ends up uh, being a sexual interest of his own mother. Um, well, he doesn't, he doesn't end up almost being a sexual interest. His mother has got the hots for him throughout the entire yeah. film, right up until they kiss. Yeah. There's, you know, there's no, there is no, there is not, it's not even alluded to. It is blatant. I'm going to have him. Yeah. Like, so, so what I'm saying is though, when you talk about it, there are certain issues that, that when you talk about it, come across way more darkly than it's portrayed in the film itself, because it is, although there's, there's, uh, you know, sexual abuse, paedophilia, um, these things, rape, these things, when you talk about them, obviously have very dark connotations, but the film doesn't deal with them in that way. It's just, it's hard to talk about those themes without mentioning words that are kind of, I guess, in this day and age, called triggering. I think, but when, I suppose, like, I know Back to the Future is an example we're kind of referencing, but, like, there's no scenes where... 
um, in in certain other films like that, where someone's on their knees talking about the size or inferring the size of someone's penis, like or no. or inferring that this girl is soon going to be a uh, young girl is soon going to be raped. I think I think there's a they've pushed it, and I don't, I actually don't think they pushed it too far. They've probably done what they did, and then it was stripped back to that. And then it still got a higher rating, if, if that makes sense. Than so what I, they thought. Yeah, like, I don't I, think they pushed it. I think they wanted to go even further, but they they were they took the producers probably took stuff out. That's what they were left with, and they still got a high rating anyway. Yeah. And they were like, well, why didn't we just I go mean, all out? You, you needed know? to have a high rating. The film deserves to have a high rating. You know, it's um, it's what it's what I'd call you know, it's an adult film. It's not it's not Back to the Future. You know, both films actually talk about and hint towards rape, yeah. right? Okay, in Back to the Future, his well, mom is about is about to be molested yeah. by Biff in the back of that car. She sort right? of is that's, being, yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's what's going on, right? But that's that's not what the feeling you get from Back to the Future. But in in Tango, that's not how that scene would have played out. You know, it, it's a completely different film. It, it one, one's family friendly fun. One is. Uh, um, dark humor kind of kind of thing you know tango's a lot more dark humor so you can be more real with it and it still be funny and you know you can so, yeah can i guess you can have you can have iggy pop turn up and be that pedophile guy because in this in, in the world of tank girl in that, in that style of film it's it's for an older audience it is yeah. for an older audience who are going to get that and i mean i actually really love that scene i see it as a, as a it's a it's a, just another place where tank girl is just by actions of what she did earlier is is helping out another female like just straight away she's like she gave her the clapper the clapper's gone with her she's gone there and she's like fuck you yeah got, got another one do you know what I mean chops off your hands what was the line that you mentioned when she's trying to console jet girl after they've been after she's been punished for helping tank girl back out of the tank in the uh, mine um, she says, uh, you have to let go of the fear. Sometimes you have to think about that first time, that first sexual encounter. What is it she says? Oh, yeah, she says... Oh, it's something like, 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 daddy, like, daddy, daddy, are you sure it's, it's okay? Or something? Yeah, 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 are you sure this is right, yeah, daddy? And it's kind of yeah, like yeah, a yeah. joke. They're just... They're just she, Jet Girl has a little giggle and says yeah, something like, you're a, you're a little bit odd or something like that, don't you? But they yeah. kind of laugh. Yeah, they laugh at it. It is just a joke. That's all it yeah. is. But it's, yeah. I don't know. Again, we're going back to sort of 28 years ago of what was the censors like back then and, and what were they? I, I just think with this film, and going back to your original point, I think the rating was right. Um, I think the, the quibble is probably more with the studio interference again, that yeah, they didn't maybe. just go. If we're going to go, if we're going to leave a film that's going to get R rated, we may as well just let us go all out go for it yeah and like yeah yeah yeah, go, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. actually make us shocked because it wasn't shocking and i don't think the film yeah, was shocking don't, it don't just hit the r rating be the r rating. yeah like, be in it like put yeah. put in more sex scenes do, do things a little bit more crude put in a few more crass jokes when you think about it the purpose of the studio interference must have been to maximize the um the size of the audience and then when you get the finished product and give it an r rating it's like well you've not done what you set out to do so why didn't you just leave us alone yeah, and I think that the R rating is a bit funny for the fact it goes all the way up to 17, but nowadays, a different point, but you'll see a 12A and Marvel movies and virtually all blockbuster movies these days try and hit a 12A purely because then, um, in the in Britain anyway, so that 
they can take the family along. But I notice a lot of 12As now are, are quite heavy on swearing, violence. It's that they push it more up than they do down. Um, and I don't know if that, again, they want the double ticket. They want me to take my kids along, you know, and they want that kind of, they want to get the box office from that. But I think. And they want Cameron to go as well. You know, they, they want, they want, they want everyone to go, don't they? They want the kids to go and they you want the they want yeah they want every ticket but like i think yeah i mean ultimately i think the rating for for this kind of speaks of the times really and obviously like the producer's fingerprints all over it really so i think it was a deserved rating but i think it kind of to me showed that it should have been a different movie in many ways and it should have been a much darker um mischievous movie i think than it probably was that's just I think it it was probably aiming for a lot harder than what it actually ended up with. So cool. cool. Um, anything more? Because that is all seven points of Cameron's, um, which I think you've done fantastically well on. Anything else you want to add before we move on to the should this go onto the watch list? Just um, one point from uh, the um, who was the movie for a bit because um, I came at this. So, like I say, the fanboys were uh, pissed off with the movie because it didn't represent what they loved about Tank Girl. Um, I loved the movie itself when I got into the comics. I was really disappointed with the comics. Yeah, I was really Ooh. expecting there to be a little bit more weight to the narratives in the comics. I thought there was going to be a little bit more of an epic battle between, like, Tank Girl and the evil powers of... Uh, uh, the evil forces of water and power, but... Yeah, so um, I was the reverse disappointed, disappointed in the comics because they didn't represent the movie that I love. That's a that's an interesting way around. Yeah, that's the you didn't live up to the movie that's a cult movie. <laughs> yeah. That is interesting. Yeah, I was going to say I don't think I've ever had that. I've, I've 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 had I've had you know you always you always hear the old you know the films do not live up to the book and you might you might watch the lord of the rings and then you think right i'm going to read the books then you read the books and you realize you read the first book you watch the second film and then you read the third book and that's how you've got to do it like so that's the way it goes ultimately ultimately guys um can you watch this movie more than once do you think is it a movie that is rewarded with repeat viewings Yes. You do think that. Cameron? It's yes, in one respect. I wouldn't say it's one of those films that you are going to learn a lot from every time you watch it, but you know that you're in for just a fun time with some good action, good jokes, good music. It's not It's not ridiculously long. Like I said, it doesn't quite cut into the 90-minute Goldilocks zone that you prefer. Um but um, when you watch that film, it doesn't feel like a, a long film. And it is kind of good fun to pick at it because it is illogical and it doesn't make a lot of sense. And the more you watch it, the more you realise how much it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but that adds to the fun. It doesn't take away from it. So, And with Alex, yeah, you can watch it more than once and still get something out of it. Not because it's high quality film. I'm... The thing is, when you chose this film, um, Alex called me out and he said, I don't think you're going to like this. Um, and I'm not sure, if I'm honest, like, I wouldn't say I hated it by any means. Um, that it, It's not a terrible movie, 
but I don't think it's a movie. It, it to me, it's it shows what we've just talked about the fact that studio interference of of its time as well, the kind of the lack of comic book belief in in the source material. It, it was probably out of step with its time. I reckon if they did do a remake, it would be a far more interesting prospect now than it was then because the stuff that you wanted to see in this film, um, it, it almost seemed hampered by its own budget. You could sort of see things where you were like, I don't, you know, there was a scene here that I think we could have got, but instead we got this comic book bit that they put in instead because, like you said, there was unfinished scenes which kind of masked it, and it's kind of like, oh yeah, yeah okay, it's comic book, it's it's taking it to the source material. Um, but I, I watched it twice, and I, and I suppose because we're watching it for the podcast, I I was doing it with that lens. I was thinking about it from you know talking about it. Um. I'm not sure I'll watch this again, if I'm honest with myself. I don't think I'll want to watch it again. Um, but I think, and this goes back to Commando as well for me, because Alex wasn't in favour of that one. I think nostalgia does play a big part in this. I think, you know, I think that if you think my, I'm I, I a t- much older totally man. Totally agree. Yeah. Totally but, agree with that. Yeah. And you, so, I mean, Alex, like you, you, your take on it would be different because you've got memories of watching it when you were a lot younger and it now watching it, me, there's a, a much older man it's kind of like i can't quite connect with it in the same way i, I think you guys connected with it having said that i think it is rewatchable i also have said in the last week or so to a friend of mine that i've spent so much time looking into tank girl i watched it three nights in a row i watched it three times three nights in a row did a load of outside reading and watched a load of interviews and stuff to be honest with you, at this point in time, I am bored out of my brains of Tank Girl. <laughs> um, I probably won't watch it for a long, long time. Yet, I will remember it fondly. And you will watch it. That's yeah. the thing. So ultimately, Alex Hall, is this Tank Girl going on our watch list? I think Tank Girl is a film you should watch. And I think it's a film that you should watch when you're a teenager. Good answer. Um, That's a good answer. Fair. Yeah. fair. That's a good answer because we may luckily have teenagers listening to this podcast. Maybe not. Um, apologies for the swearing and the references and all that. Um, but yeah, if you're a younger person now, it may, you know, whenever you come to it, you may enjoy it more. I don't know. I Like I say, for me, Cameron's going to have it. Alex is going to have it. It doesn't matter about me. It's going on the watch list. Um, I didn't hate it. If I was going to put it on my... Damon's scale of ratings. Don't be angry at me, but it, I would give it <laughs> one Pascal out of 20. <laughs> I'd give it a five out of 10, but the five out of 10 for me is an interesting one because it's one of them that kind of sits in a could have been a lot worse, but also could have been a lot better. That kind of on, scale. Seven really bad for you. No, no. Seven's decent. Six is okay. Five's kind of yeah. like. It's not, basically not quite good enough for me. You've basically gone down the IMDb route. So uh, yeah. anything above a six is, uh, is definitely worthwhile. In fact, this one sits at 5.4. Correct. I was just going to oh, right. literally, I was oh, going to okay. say that. It, yeah, 5.4 with <laughs> it's oh, how many? I've lost the thing now. Um, 33,000 people have voted on that, which is a low amount. So this is literally a film that's not been seen by virtually anyone. Like it's such a low score. And the meta score as well on IMDb is pretty low. The highest rating a critic gave it, although I don't know how they do it, 
um, is 70, which is like seven out of 10. So like you said, it was panned critically, um, yeah. but that's irrelevant because it's going on our never ending watch list um, just to add another film to everyone well, else's list. It's not irrelevant. It's just that I agree that the, the cult status is something that it deserves. And um, having found its way to um, the people that it has found its way to, and for the director to turn around and say that she does feel proud of it now, thinking about it in, in retrospect, I think there's a lot of historical facts about this particular production that give it a little bit of weight in the present moment. Yeah. Well, it's on the list. We've gone for it and it's in. Um, it's getting late. Have we got time for a quiz? I'll do a really quick quiz. Quick Go quiz. On. It's going to be, if it falls on like a clanger like the last one, maybe we'll take the quiz out. No, no, leave it in. <laughs> Make us look stupid. Do it. Um, well, first question you ruined because you know it too well, but I'm going to say it anyway. Don't you answer it, Cameron, then. Um, I'll let, only let Alex well, I'm, answer I'm it. not going to know. I won't know. I don't I, know I, Cameron said the answer earlier, if you oh, were okay. listening. Um, right. So, oh. how much did Mr. Ice-T get paid to be in tank? One million dollars. One million dollars. <laughs> Correct. Um, yeah, so I have heard different views. 800,000, but I don't know if that's maybe the... A million. It's American, isn't it? It's tax. It is. <laughs> right. Um, which popular American band were due to appear on the soundtrack but got so big during production they could no longer be afforded to be on there? So they got too big and the rights to their music became too expensive so they couldn't put them on the soundtrack. Nirvana? No. Pretty well known. No, no. Nirvana obviously quick finished after um, yeah, Kurt yeah, Cobain. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's why I was like, I mean, actually, no, you're still right, though. After that, they went stratospheric as well, but still, yeah. Uh, American like, band, yeah. I feel like I know this one, but um, I'll, 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 I'm blank. Any ideas, Al? Not got a clue. Green Day. Green Day? Yeah. Don't want to be an American idiot. Right. Do, um, do you know what track they were going to use on it, or does it not be? Um... I got a feeling I was basket case made then. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure if they were just going to ask them for some music or if they had one in particular, but it was green day was going to be on the soundtrack. That's all that I got. Um, next question. Director Rachel Talele made her directorial debut on which famous movie horror franchise? Oh, I know this. Three? No, uh, no, sorry. Go on. I'm just going to say scream. I'm complete. I'm what in the did you say? Decade. I'm in the wrong decade. I said scream. I don't know what. I don't know. I do not know what I'm talking. About. That would have been actually. That would have been a year or two after Tank Girl that Scream came out. I think. 1996. 1996. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Sick? I thought. I yeah. thought they were 2000s. I thought they were 2000s. Most of them were. Yeah. But the yeah the first one was 90s. So, so yeah, which I horror? I do know this one. So it was Scream. Isn't a million miles away? Actually, thinking about it. It wasn't the beginning of the franchise. In fact, it was supposed to be the end of the franchise. Yeah, um, you know it. You know the answer. It is New Nightmare. It was. It oh, was yes, I did. I knew sixth, that. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, sixth yeah. installment, um, Freddy's Dead, I think it was. Yeah, the final nightmare. That was it. Um, I didn't think it was that bad. I've seen that, I think, but it, it's not a great. Isn't movie. that the one where it turns out that Freddy is just a character in a movie that England's been playing, but he also then appears. In the real world, is that that's what? no, that's Wes Craven's yeah. new nightmare. That's, right, that's that was uh, about, that might have been around about the time Tank Girl came out, actually. Um, yeah, 
that's a different yeah it was freddy's dead and it, it was the 3d glasses one as well so it was like a 3d movie but yeah that was her debut um a little bit of extra trivia she's the only american-born director that's um had a hand in doctor who as a director yes done a lot of, quite a few episodes yeah quite a well-known director especially on the circuit now yeah i mean she has a cheat card because both of her parents are british you know but still a little bit of trivia um which famous female pop band had three of its members audition for tank girl allegedly <laughs> two the i think spice girls it... yeah it was the spice girls i thought it was three i oh, know no you're right it was two um it was victoria and was it jerry jerry because, uh, they reckon emma bunton as well Tulele jokes that she's the reason why the spice girls got together Yes. And I think the, uh, was it that one that the auditions, MGM had held the auditions, although they knew that they had already cast the parts. They did it as a marketing exercise. Um, yeah, yeah, but that may be the case. Didn't, yeah. Didn't, didn't somebody else, I, I, I just, I just, my trivia is really bad, but didn't somebody else have the part as Tank Girl before yes. Laurie Petty got it? Yeah. Emily like, Lloyd. Somebody, some sort of she... between Emily and uh, Rachel. Uh, something. St- some some sources say that she wouldn't would... get naked. No, uh... oh, cut her hair. That was it. Yeah, yeah she that's it. Ch- yeah, ch- cutting ch- her, her hair. It was. Yeah, yeah. That's but, a bit of trivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, two more. Um, I'm fairly sure you'll get this one. What year does the film take place? I think uh, nine... 2033. Correct. Fantastic. And I'm just going to add one in because we were asking about it earlier. So what was the budget of the movie in American dollars? And what was the worldwide gross of the movie? Have a little guess of both. Um, I was looking at this recently. Cameron, do you want to take a stab at one half and I'll take a stab at the other? Unless you know the answer to both. Yeah. No, because the number I've got in my head seems ridiculously low. I'm thinking some. I've got a number in my head of 26,000, but that seems ridiculously low. So million. I'm... 26 million. Just, yeah, move it along. Million. 26 million. Is that what it costs? I think it's something. That's what I've got in my head. Somewhere around that for for how much it costs to make. But then the take was like like a fifth of that. Like six or something. Pretty pretty much bang on. Yeah. So the budget was $25 million and the worldwide gross was just over four. So it tanked massively. Tank girl. (laughs) Hey. Anyway, that was that. Tank Girl's on the watch list, and we have added another to everyone's long, long list of films to watch. Um, So, we've got another episode to come up soon, and it, the pendulum of choice has fallen on Alex Hall. Alex, what are you going to get me and Cameron to watch? Well, your choice of movie. I have ummed, and I have awed. I've gone round in circles. I've gone this way and I've gone that way. <laughs> even, even to this moment, gone, I twirling, been... twirling into the future. Sorry, gone. I, I've been <laughs> bit of Simpsons for you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've been um, I push. What I was like, what do, what do I do? A late seventies sci-fi horror. And then I was like, we've just done a strong female lead, so I can't do that film. I know. I, was can like, I say I know the film because I know you so yeah, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. What other late seventies sci-fi horror is there with a strong female lead? But I think we will do that. But I was going to do some others, including some Tim Burton's. But in the end, I've got to do 
Drum roll. Oh my god. Spaghetti Western. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh. He's gone for a Western. The genre that I hate the most. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I know. That's that's why I've done it. Because I, I think you two need to let me you just need check. To delve into something. Why as we record this, and it will change by the time we come to record it. The good, the bad. Have you checked if it's on I uh, haven't. I uh, haven't. I, I I'll be honest, the last time I watched it, I watched it on YouTube. Right. It's it was oh, just it's, on YouTube. It's on an MGM sub subscription on Prime Video. Um little plug for MGM again there. Um so the good, the bad, and the ugly. Cool. Yeah. Fair enough. That'll be the next one. So just before we leave then, please tell me what was in Marcellus Wallace's suitcase, Alex. I believe it was three hundred and thirty three thousand sprigs. <laughs> Delicious spaghetti. <laughs> okay. Cameron? Well, it's going to have to be a $5,000 prosthetic penis. <laughs> <laughs> so long, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Ta-ra. Ta-ra.